0: Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome aboard. It's Sandy and Sean. Thanks for joining us over here on Mile High Sports. A second week in. Already feels very natural. Tremendous amount of fun joining all of you. You can always watch the show, by the way. MileHighSports.com watch slash listen is the other one and we have a free app in which you can do all of that including checking out all the great reporting that's done over there a little bit later today as uh, Zach Seekers will join us the CU reporter from Mile High Sports to talk about all of the things CU, including the uh, huge win by the CUM and the overtime win over Duke to get them to the sweet 16 for the first time in 20 years we'll talk about that with him in just about an hour. But, Sandy, we'll start off with the hottest team in the NHL. That would be the Colorado Avalanche. Last night, uh, you and I talked about this before, prior to the game. We talked about it in our little video that we, we post out to social media, our little post-game uh, post that we put together after we finished the program, that the Avs were probably going to have, a very solid performance, a little bit of revenge in many ways. They lost to the Blackhawks earlier in the year, set them on a path in which they have completely ignited as a team. And they did what good teams do. They ran into a a team that is not as good as they are. The Blackhawks are eliminated from the playoffs uh, as of now. They they had Mm -hmm. a bad team come into their barn and they blew the doors off. It finished with a score that was maybe easier than the game looked like. But in the end, I mean, the Avs absolutely cruise, shut them out, continue on a tremendous streak of play, which, by the way, now has them tied with Minnesota for second in the Central with a game in hand.
1: Yes, which means they're in second place. Right. And as we were discussing right before the program, if you want to break it down by win percentage, and you can do that by having the ties, half a win and half a loss, and These are regulation ties, obviously. Mm -hmm. Every game is decided one way or the other, whether it's regulation, overtime, three-on-three, or a shootout. Or you can take just a percentage of possible points that a team has managed to accumulate. So the Avalanche in this division are first. In the West, they are third in win percentage. And they are eighth in the NHL. In win percentage behind Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers, Boston and Toronto in the East, Vegas and the Kings in the West. They are well positioned to win this division. They yes. have at this moment the best winning percentage. If they finish that way, they win the division. You get
0: two points for a win, right. they're one point out of first with Dallas with the game in hand. I mean they are right. They, they've gotten to the fact to the point of this season, Sandy, where they have earned the right to control their own destiny. And now they actually have that. They have a game against Dallas left. They're one point behind them. The Avs, as of today, control their own destiny in the Central Division.
1: They have a game in hand, as you mentioned, on Minnesota, a game in hand on Dallas, and on virtually all of the other playoff teams at the present time in the West. We now have, uh, throughout the National Hockey League, the top four teams in every division are the playoff qualifiers. There's no 5-3 split in either conference. There was in the East, but Florida has managed to overtake Pittsburgh, which makes tomorrow night's game between Pittsburgh and the Avs at Ball Arena very interesting because the Penguins are 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. The Panthers are 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. So the Penguins, at the present time, are not a playoff team. So They will be ready to play to the extent that they are capable of playing well. But uh, the Avs, all of a sudden, against playoff teams at the present time are 16, 13, and 5. That's a 544 win percentage. But to your point, they are dominating the non-playoff teams. 25, 9, and 1, a winning percentage of 729. They are 23-12 and three against the West, 6:45, 18-10 and three against the East, 6:29. It has become, with the possibility of 50 wins now, a remarkable season for the Colorado Avalanche, considering all their injuries. And Kale McCarr is the latest. Um, it is an undisclosed injury. It doesn't, from the sounds of it, appear to be terribly serious. But he didn't play last night. Right add that to the list of absences among top flight players and yet the avs continue to play a brand of hockey that beyond maybe boston is unmatched right now over the past 29 30 games in the national hockey league
0: i think that's fair and and uh, fortunately of course you know you knock on wood when it's a uh, uh, kale mccar and he misses some time but uh, you're right it, it at least at the moment does not sound like it's extremely serious And the Avs did what they were supposed to do. They sandblasted the team that came in, and and that's where which does
1: not resemble. Let's be fair about it. Does not resemble the January twelfth version of the Chicago Blackhawks that whipped the Avalanche in Chicago and sent the Avalanche reeling to their uh, twentieth loss, seventeen of those twenty in regulation with just twenty wins. That's basically through forty games. That is. The mark the avalanche had at that point on january 12th from january 13th on through last night which would have been march 20th that's a little over two months that's basically nine weeks the avalanche have been the best team in the league including boston
0: the numbers bear that out when you get the advanced statistics So go to 538.com the terrific site that does a lot of really advanced analytics started as a political blog and then of course it's expanded to something else now the avalanche all year long have either been number one or number two in the odds on winning the stanley cup they still remain though so over at 538 the bruins at 32 percent, which is a remarkably high number but that's what happens when you have 111 points already the avalanche now with 88 jumped to 19 percent up from 15 percent a week Only ago a week today, ago.
1: when we discussed this, the Bruins remain exactly where they were at 32%. But the Avalanche are up from 15% to 19%, almost a one in five chance of repeating as Stanley Cup. Here
0: changed. are the next two teams in the West. The Oilers, as you would figure.
1: And the, the Oilers are the second hottest team
0: at in the West. Six, Sandy. Six percent. Less than a third of the Avalanche's likelihood. Next up is the Golden Knights. Four, almost roughly only a fifth. I mean, the the Avalanche have been playing in a manner and have the kind of talent that they are in at least many of the eyes of around the league. Whether it's you know just your eyeballs or the computers, either way, you're looking at it. This is a team that looks now that it is the best team in the West again, and that's despite the extraordinary number of injuries. This team. If they are healthy, if they are healthy, should be in the Stanley Cup playoffs, in the finals, against the Boston Bruins. If they remain healthy as well, that's what we should be looking at. I mean, if the Avs can get healthy, you should be looking at a Bruins-Avalanche Cup final. The extent to which they have to get healthier, to me, is
1: the key question. Because they've done all of this without Landis playing at all this year all right, these last 29 games. Uh, they have done it without Makar at times, including the game last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have done it without Lekkanen recently. He's and they'll, been out and they'll a need to do finger. it
0: without Lekkanen the rest of the regular season.
1: It would seem that way, and perhaps even for a round in the playoffs. My point being, though, that... Assuming you get McCarr back, because you have to have McCarr going into the playoffs. Uh, If you're going to
0: win the Stanley Cup again, yes.
1: Rantan has missed a game all year. He's, knock on wood, escaped the injury bug. McKinnon has missed 11 games. Keep him healthy. Right now, even having played in only 58 games, Nathan McKinnon is tied for sixth in points in the National Hockey League with 89. He is third in points per game behind McDavid, who's averaging 1.92 points per game. Incredible. It's ludicrous, right. right. <laughs> Come on. Leon Dreisaitl, his teammate, at 1.54 and McKinnon at 1.53. <laughs> Those are the three leaders in points per game right now in the NHL. McKinnon is plus 22, McDavid is plus 16, and Dreisidel is just plus one right. this year. Over the last 30 games, Nathan McKinnon has been the best player in the world, without question. I believe right now at the present time, assuming good health, that McKinnon and Kale McCarr are two of the five best players in the world. Certainly, I would have to say McKinnon is the best the You might be shortchanging the best the
0: them, uh, quite frankly, when you're talking but about
1: the best five. My point is, Rantanen is third in goals and 13th in points. Is Miko Rantanen a top player worldwide I believe him to be without question a top 10 player mm-hmm. he's third in goals fair. right for all yeah so he's got to be at least top 10 in the world seems only fair so having healthy three of the top 10 players going into the playoffs I don't know that they need primetime Gabriel Landiscott they need functional Gabriel Landiscott they need his physical presence. But he doesn't have to be a big-time scorer in the playoffs. His presence would be helpful, but they don't need a lot given that they have three of the top ten players in the world. And if you have three of the top ten players in the world, and in my view, one of the top five coaches in the world, you've got a shot at winning the Stanley Cup. You are clearly a top ten team even with all the injuries, you're clearly a top-ten team in the NHL. You're an upper-third team, probably an upper-quarter team in the National Hockey League at the present time. By definition, if you're a top-quarter team, you have a shot at the Cup. And that's the way it works in the NHL. And in fact, there are years in which there are as many as a third of the teams in the league or more than a third of the teams in the league who could conceivably win the Stanley Cup. It has worked out that way sure. in
0: the past. This is a league in which the eight seed guys win has won the cup. Yes. I mean it's happened. Yes. So and, yeah.
1: And not 50 years ago.
0: Correct. Or 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago.
1: It's happened more recently than that. So you take that and the question then between the pipes becomes is Alexander Georgiev one of the best five goaltenders in the world? He's one of the, the best world?
0: 10 without question.
1: Without question he's a top 10. He is currently within the National Hockey League, tied for second in wins with 32, 12th in goals against at 2.53, tied for fourth at 9.20 uh, with respect to save percentage, and tied for third in shutouts with four, picked up his fourth last night. What have we said over the last two years as a reasonable expectation from an Avalanche goaltender? 9.20 save percentage, 2.50 goals against. He's within... Three one-hundredths of a goal per game from 2.50. He's right at 920. And, oh, by the way, he has four shutouts, and there are only two guys in the league, Sorokin of the Islanders and Kemper of the Capitals, with five, who have more. Vasilevsky has two shutouts this year. Shosturkin has two shutouts this year. Georgiev has more wins than Vasilevsky, as many wins as Shosturkin. He's got a better goals against than both. He's got a better save percentage by a fair margin than both. And he has as many shutouts as Vasilevsky and Chesterkin, the man who replaced him with the Rangers combined in 2022, 2023. So at the very least, the Avalanche have three of the top 10 skaters in the world. And I believe one of the top 10 goaltenders in the world present time
0: with it, with the elite coach. And, and with a top five coach in yeah, the world. The, the situation with Georgiev last night I think was interesting. Now, the Avs are a better team. They should have taken it to the Blackhawks, and I think I think they would have one way or the other. But early in this game, Georgiev was tested a lot last night. Uh, the, the Blackhawks, despite not being a good team, came with energy against the Avs, as they have every time they've played them this year, quite frankly, and sometimes that surprised the Avs. Uh, I don't think this game would have gotten sideways for the Avs. But if it could have, it would have happened if Georgiev wasn't as sharp as he was in the opening probably period and a half to keep Chicago off the board and keep them from getting momentum. And last night, he got a decent amount of work, 27 shots against, saved them all, of course. But that's one of those games when you look at the potential playoffs and go, look, okay, I get it. The Blackhawks, they're not good. But what Georgiev did is what you hope your goaltenders will do. He bought the offense time to get traction until they started taking off. And, of course, as we all know, who needs McCarr when you have Curtis McDermott back in your lineup <laughs> leading off the scoring last right. night? Right, right. Uh, Dennis Malgin with, with the goal. I mean, you, you were getting scoring. Well, yeah, didn't he have three points
1: last night? Malgan had two
0: goals and an assist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like
1: Malgin. What about you? I, know, like I about do too. I, I, he's the one. He guy also appears who's to been in the lineup due to injury. Yeah, who's really
0: impressed me. He seems to blend well with his teammates. Uh, he he always seems to kind of be in the right place. Uh, I, I I like that that addition, and it looks like that you may have found a guy that you can you can s- stick with, uh, even
1: when the injured guys come yeah, back. I if they so. come back. Morgan I think he, I think In you've got to find a way
0: to you've got to find a way to play him and I think he's been very good and and uh yeah I mean not a big guy I mean you know I'm I'm about the size of, of Morgan and you know I, there's no way I'm stepping out there not the least of which because I can't skate but you know otherwise I'm not getting out there uh, but he's out there doing the doing the right things he's not it's like kind of Johnny on the spot sometimes he's been unselfish with the puck. Uh, he looks like a really good fit for this team. I don't expect him to be a, a hyper impactful player, but look, Sandy, he has 10 goals on the year. Uh, that is not, and when you're talking about sort of the journeyman backup variety type of guys, a 10 goal season is legit. That's, that's a, a decent number. This and is a guy who spent up a in fair re- amount time. of
1: time on the fourth line, mm-hmm. sometimes on the third, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. He's one of those guys. He's, more offensive-minded than Lekkanen, not nearly the defensive player that Lekkanen is, but Lekkanen can play on any line. And this kid, offensively, can fit in on any line.
0: That's a tremendous asset for the, the Avalanche. You have to find those those situations. And in Malgan's case here, you know, he's he's 26 years old. Yeah, every, he's not a kid Every once in a while He's not a kid But he's not old Every once in a right. while You just right. kind he's of his prime. You kind of stumble into somebody Who happens right. to be a, a, Happens to be a good fit For your roster yeah. At the right time And I think you see him And he's him getting
1: some ice time And you see
0: him gain more confidence He's getting confidence He's gaining confidence Absolutely. He's being more aggressive At shooting uh, last night, I thought he, you know, he took two, uh, three shots, but two went in. But his second goal, especially, yep. was aggressive. Sure, It was a, look, I got a window. I'm going to put it by this guy. It's exactly what he did. And so I think y- you found a fit there. Uh, you talked about how uh, Eller has started to fit in. Eller should have yeah. had a goal, just rang one off the crossbar, which would have been a beautiful, a highlight, real goal. Eller's doing it. what
1: Josh Manson did a year ago. He, he's, he's beginning to relax and look comfortable out there. He he looked, to me, decidedly uncomfortable early on. It's a different system. Uh, this is a guy who five years ago scored the game-winning goal for Washington to win them a Stanley Cup. Not Ovechkin, who was Lars Eller who scored that Cup-winning goal for Washington. He's been there a long time. This is a different system. But now I think he's found his niche. So there are a couple of guys, Eller is one, and Morgan is another, who have, I think, hit their stride in some ways and are legitimate support players, complementary players now, for the Colorado
0: Avalanche. Getting that, and when you start talking about cup runs, how many times over the course of, and Eller's quite frankly one of them, how many times over the course of, of the NHL history, if you watch teams make cup runs, and it's not always the Stars in the right place at the right time. Eller with the Capitals, one of those. And there is that silver lining. If you're looking for it for the Avs, they have played so well without so many of their stars. And in the process, okay, they obtained Eller. I agree. I think the Manson uh, comparison is perfect. It's just, he's getting his sea legs. It, it happens. But he seems to be getting them. Uh, last night, you know, didn't get any luck and went off the crossbar, but he he looked like, okay, I can see how he's starting to fit in here, much the same way it was with Josh Manson. You you found one, I think, with Mulligan. You are finding pieces that will benefit you in the short term. I mean, Look at the, the playoff run the Avs had last time. Would you have expected Darren Helm to rip one in at the game winner at, at, at the buzzer during the front? No. I mean, the... Focus defensively for everybody who's going to play against the Avalanche is going to be against Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Ranton and Kale McCarr. Of course it is. Now, are they good enough to overcome that? Well, usually, obviously, we've seen it. But at the same time, you need the Malgans and the Evan Rodriguez's and the JT Comfers of the world. And sure, they'd love to have more of Larry Nachushkin, who's battled injuries of his own, and another player that they might not have to have peak Nachushkin. If he's healthy and, and doing enough that might be okay but you find these these guys who can step in and be effective and you know what another another guy that I, I don't think he's he's been changing the way the team plays but another assist last night for Brad Hunt who had just had to be kind of plugged into the blue line, has lost another front tooth, I think he did about a week mm-hmm. and a half ago, and another person that, you know, is he, he going to be an all-star? No. But you know what? The more you see him. All you're asking is the like, third tandem minutes. He's been a little better than serviceable, and I think that's kind of what think, you're looking for. I, I think
1: he's been fine. He's been serviceable. Uh, occasionally chips in. Uh, with an assist. But not making a lot of mistakes, a against his former team right? about a month ago on a Sunday
0: afternoon. But he's not costing Dedmonton. you anything, really.
1: No, not really. No, he's fine. Uh, he's fine as a third ten defenseman. Jack Johnson, I think, has played well since he was reacquired. Yeah. This time from the Blackhawks, who not only didn't have uh, Johnson last night, they didn't have Kane, as opposed to January 12th. Uh, Taves is out. Uh, Max Domi, they didn't have. Uh, This is not the same Chicago team that it was nine weeks ago, and the Avalanche made sure we saw that last night.
0: It's also not the same three. You had Brad Hunt, you had Jack Johnson, you had Curtis McDermott on defense, and the Avs still walk away with a shutout, which against anybody in the NHL is not easy to do. So good performance there for the Avs, hitting on all cylinders. We'll turn our attention to the Denver Nuggets who get back in action to finish off their road trip tomorrow. They're doing the same thing against bad teams that the Avs are against bad teams. How much could that affect And We'll talk about it next. I want a girl who gets up early. I want a girl who stays up late. I want a girl with... Who's to know if your soul will fade at all? Sandy Clough and Shantrotar presented by superbook sports download the superbook app and start winning today at superbook.com here's sean and sandy we take a look at the denver nuggets who my big complaint sandy is the fact that i think that they've been putting it in cruise control against bad teams and thinking that they will be able to flip a switch something i talked about yesterday and I, i will just Preface this, we talked a little bit about 538's odds with the Colorado Avalanche. Remember, the Denver Nuggets are the runaway leader in the Western Conference. They have been for months. They are not, at least according to 538, far and away the likeliest team to win the championship out of the West. The Grizzlies and the Nuggets are tied 12%. The Warriors are 6%. So there's five teams that they consider having better than 10% chance of making it. The Bucks are number one, 23%. Where's Six Phoenix? Sixers. Phoenix is actually down at 3%, With two Kevin spots Durant below back? the Warriors. So now not, I, maybe they don't account for that. Their model is not buying into the idea that uh, apparently they will be healthy because no matter if you want to look at it, where they break based on their player ratings or they do an ELO forecast, ELO, by the way, is an old chess uh tactic to be able to measure people against others, and it actually translates to a lot of sports. The Suns are the same. It doesn't buy into their model very much, which is interesting. But, but if it, the Suns have Durant, they will be favored to win the West. It wasn't that long ago that the Nuggets, Sandy, were behind only either the Bucks or the 76ers or the Celtics. One of the three has been at the top all year long. Nuggets now dropped to the fifth most likely team in order to do that even though they are one of only three teams in the NBA that have already clinched a playoff spot? There's good news and bad news in all this. The good news is
1: that though they were more dominant in the 2022 portion of the 22-23 season, they have, even in 2023, Outside of those Eastern teams at the top, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia, they've been roughly as good as anybody. That's the good news. The bad news is that they're a plus 12 for the year, but s- since January 1st, plus five, which is fine, but it doesn't separate them from. Everybody, even in the West, it's nice. It's fine. It's a good enough pace to keep hold of first place. Uh, The Nuggets right now are three up in the loss column and in the road, win, home loss, plus minus, they are three games ahead of Memphis. So they're in good shape. They're in good shape. As long as they win at home, And maybe pick up two or three games on the road between now and the end of the season. They'll be fine. They'll cruise into the playoffs as the number one seed in the West. They won't be playing Memphis in the first round. Uh, they won't be playing Phoenix with or without Durant in the first round. Right. What worries me is that you catch a team that perhaps has underachieved a little across the season so far, but has played the Nuggets fairly well. The Nuggets this year against Phoenix, the Clippers and Golden State are undefeated at eight and zero. However, those teams are fourth, fifth and sixth right now in the West Mm -hmm. against teams seven and eight The Nuggets are four and four. That's Dallas and Minnesota. Two and two against Dallas, two and two against Minnesota. Three and one against Oklahoma City, two and one against Utah, two and two against the Lakers, two and one against New Orleans. They should beat any of those teams in a best of seven series, but they ain't going to sweep any of them. No. As things stand now. As things stand now. And right now, the eighth place team would be Minnesota. But yesterday it was Oklahoma City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? It's very and fluid. I would rather play Minnesota because Minnesota didn't play any defense. But Oklahoma City is a fine defensive team. We talked about Shane Gilgis Alexander yeah, yesterday. He's averaging over thirty one points a game, but you do notice his defense, which is oh, quite good. On ball better is than Morant's defense and better than McCollum's defense. Utah won a game last night that impressed me because they were able to hang on at the end. They were up 40-19 to 19 at the quarter last night. They got caught by Sacramento, and Sacramento's a pretty good team, right? Uh, and yes. Fox went for 37 last night. Sabonis had a quiet night scoring, but he had close to a triple-double. I don't think he quite got there. He was, I think, one assist or one rebound short of a triple-double last night. But they hung on, and that impressed me. Because Sacramento's playing for second place with Memphis. They're going back and forth. Big game for Sacramento. It would be a great road win to get. Utah comes on, and I'm looking at Utah, and Sean, they're pretty deep. Yeah. And, it, they actually they are they've, they've got a couple and and of the former Kansas stars. Uh Azubuke had a big night last night. Agbaji went crazy and scored twenty seven points and let led the way. And they were playing without without uh marketing. And, and give the jazz he was jazz out this. hurt and he's he's probably their best shooter. And they still want to
0: game three out of the four teams that would be in the in tournament as of today in the West have negative point differentials on the season. Now, for the Jazz, it's not much. It's literally point one. <laughs> they, they score 117.4 and cough up 17. Now the Jazz 3. are in
1: 10th place right now.
0: Right. So but,
1: they that they, they aren't even assured of being in the playing no. tournament. But from but, what I saw last night, they could be dangerous if they I get agree. up into that eighth spot.
0: I agree. And it's it is gonna be for the Nuggets a hard run. Now, I I agree with you. Now I think that in when you're talking about the, is, the Eastern Conference this year is stronger, especially at the top. At the top. There are three, the three top teams, the Bucks, the Celtics, and the 76ers, you could envision all of them winning the title this year with relative ease. I, I can envision any of those situations that would well, not shock it, me. You've got three MVP candidates right? in Giannis, Tatum,
1: and M B. Right. Exactly. So, of course, they're championship contenders,
0: all three of them. So this is that that is is tougher at the top, but the West is, as you pointed out, it is so compressed. I mean, ev- every day it it changes so rapidly. You know, the the Lakers. You keep an eye on the Lakers a little bit. Not that I'm terribly concerned about them, unless they happen to run well, into the Nuggets at full health. Then you have to be get careful. If they get LeBron
1: back at full you health, you have to be careful. And Davis is at sure. full health, and those are big ifs. I get it, but. If they finish eighth, I I'm. I think their teams I'd rather oh, yeah. play. Anytime you're in rolling the first out round in two the Hall of
0: Famers, that's scary. <laughs>
1: Between fourth and twelfth place, you have a separation of four games right now. And that's Phoenix in fourth and New Orleans in 12th. Four games. Now, I know time is running out on the season, but there are 12, 13 games left for just about everybody. Yeah. That's enough time to make up four games well, The
0: lakers are one and a half out of being and a
1: lot of these teams of, will be playing head-to-head being above the playing tournament rivals.
0: yeah i mean it's it, everyone's in this mix and so if you're the nuggets you need to just keep your head down and keep winning games you know especially at home and I, I get and it
1: that's going to be the challenge after the game in washington tomorrow night yes that they play milwaukee and philadelphia Coming back home. And keep in mind, and the those Nuggets will be
0: two tough games on the road are still, with, Sandy.
1: with teams that have been a lot better in 2023 than the Nuggets have been.
0: They're only 18 and 18 on the road. And that's the, when we compare to, say, the Avalanche, who are better on the road than at home and were dominant in last year's Avalanche playoffs.
1: 22-11-1 right. on the road.
0: The Nuggets are going to have to play some games on the road at some point. So if you better really dominate at home and you better, be, look, I get it. The odds on them losing that top seed become... Very minimal every day. But as a Satchel Page once say, said, you know, if you're running, don't look back. They're, they're still something, chasing you.
1: Something might <laughs> something be, might be something gaining on you. Something or
0: someone might be gaining on yeah. you if you look over now your shoulder. And all of a sudden, that lead, which at yeah. one point extended to, at one point, seven games. Exactly. Is now half that. But, you know, the old saying,
1: uh, objects in your rear view mirror closer are than closer they than they
0: appear. Like that Tyrannosaurus attraction. Until the Nuggets Jurassic won Park. in
1: Brooklyn. That was, that was very much the case. The win in Brooklyn was big because it was a road win that counteracted the home loss to Brooklyn. So that was a big one. Tonight, also a big one because Washington is not even a playing team at the present time, right. although they're two games behind Chicago for 10th. In and they the have, East. They have so losing, they're
0: not out of it But they have a losing record at home This is not a good team The Nuggets need to go in tomorrow you Finish off the road trip game. and win this game You
1: shouldn't win this game they But they the Nuggets to lost to Chicago at home They almost lost to Toronto at home And got blown out in Toronto So again the Nuggets against the East Are 16 and 11 Which is okay But it tells you that the east is a lot stronger because denver is 32 and 13 against the west that's a winning percentage of 7.11 against the east only 5.93 here's the good news though for the nuggets whether it's one of the top 6 teams who as of right now would not have to perform the play in tournament right right in the west and in the east the nuggets are 15 and 8 against everybody else they're 33 and 16 quick math will tell you that there isn't much difference between 15 and 8 and 33 and 16. So that's another piece of good news for the Nuggets, especially against their western rivals, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers and Golden State. The Nuggets have been superb this year, 11 and 2 against those five teams I just mentioned. Only two losses. They they're two and one against Memphis, they split two with Sacramento, but they've as I said, gone eight zero against Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State this year, and so I, I'm actually a little more concerned with the first round series they might have to play okay. than I am with the second round series against teams they've dominated
0: this year. The way this finishes, and, and, and let's let's not even let's just go a couple at a time here. Let's just take a peek ahead a couple at a time. They need to win this game on Wednesday, obviously, to finish off that road trip. But we've talked about the minutes that are being played right now by their stars. Now, they're not, let's put Washington aside. Now let's go towards Milwaukee and and, and Philly. The minutes aren't going down there. It feels like the opportunity to lower the minutes for your star players might have just gone by the wayside. Because the rest of this schedule, for the most part, only has a couple of deep breaths that you can take. If that's the case, how does it change your perspective on the way the Nuggets would handle the first-round series if you think the first-round series may be more dangerous than the second? My theory
1: is that to the greatest extent possible in April, and my feeling is by April 1st, you should have the conference number one position, the top seated position, all but cinched. Not clinched, but all but cinched Okay, by April 1st. Then you can begin to lower minutes and maybe even manipulate a bit so that you can, to an extent, determine your first round opponent. Because the Nuggets will be playing a lot of these teams.
0: And, and the Nuggets Coming do, let, let's be honest, the Nuggets uh, do love when they can. Messing with the the standings to find a, a matchup they like. This is something they've loved doing. Our friend George it's a, Carl. Sort of a dangerous game at times. But During they, but they his do coaching like doing days, did not believe in selecting your
1: opponent in the playoffs. I'm inclined to agree. but Now he does, though. Interesting. He's changed his position now. Interesting. Okay. By the way, we'll have a podcast coming up with uh, George Carl tomorrow.
0: That's if right. We look forward to that. That's right. Yeah. See, if you, you've getting uh, with the coach, so we'll make sure we check that out, and we'll point you to it when it uh, gets out there tomorrow as well. And we'll have a ton of Nuggets
1: talk. We'll talk uh, Sweet 16 NCAA basketball, but we'll really be focused in on the Nuggets, and we'll talk about that. I'll bring it up again with George and uh, see, again, if with games left on the schedule against Golden State, Utah, and New Orleans, all right, three of those teams we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. Maybe you manipulate those games. You win all three. You don't necessarily want to lose all three, I'm sure, but maybe two and one, one and two, depending on which of those if two. There's teams a way to get you guys rest for sure. You'd rather avoid and which one of those three you'd rather play because right now you got Golden State at thirty seven and thirty six. Okay. Dallas 3636. 36. Minnesota 3637. Oklahoma City 3536. Utah 3536. Lakers 3537. New Orleans 3437. Uh that's close. We <laughs> will
0: stick with the NBA and go from the Denver Nuggets to uh so, some sad news around the league as one of the legends of the game passes. We'll talk about that next. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. I'm Sean. He's Sandy, and we bring some uh, sad news from the NBA. Of course, in fact, uh, a man that uh, played before you know I I had any experience of most grew up before I was even born, but I grew up in a in a sports loving family and. The name Willis Reed was synonymous with gutting it out, playing tough, uh, doing what you need to do to get the job done. In my home, uh, that 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 was a, a name that came up a lot, even growing up in Franktown, Colorado, because Willis Reed, who had just an extraordinary career that that we'll go over, Sandy, uh, obviously renowned for his for his performance in uh, you know in, in a in a championship run. And passes away today at the age of 80. The statement from the Knicks, by the way, said today, the Knicks organization is deeply saddened to announce the passing of our beloved captain, Willis Reed. As we mourn, we will always strive to uphold the standard left behind, the unmatched leadership, sacrifice, and work ethic that personified him as a champion among champions. His is a legacy that will live forever. He was my
1: captain growing up. He was the captain of my favorite team. And when I think of captains growing up, uh, the Knicks won their first championship in 1970. And that was the year of the famous Willis Reed game, game seven of the NBA finals, when it came limping out, hit two jump shots. Um, I watched that game about twice a year (laughs) now on YouTube, and you can still feel the crowd and the spine-tingling effects of watching him on one leg hit two jumpers from the outside. First two at the baskets of the game, of the right? The game yeah. right? The first two field goals of the game for the Knicks, and after that, the Knicks set sail and blew out the West Baylor Chamberlain Lakers to win their first championship. And there are still today. Commentators, contemporary commentators from other sports mm-hmm. who make reference to Willis It is Reed. synonymous
0: for for and toughness
1: and courage with injury. three years ago. And some commentators weren't necessarily even alive when Willis Reed came out of the tunnel for that seventh game. They still make reference to it. Uh, Willis Reed was... It, 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 to my way of thinking, and others have said this who have spent more time around Willis Reed than I have, know him a lot better than I do. The greatest competitor, perhaps outside of Russell, whoever lived until Jordan came along. That's The um, people who followed the next, Marv Albert being one, uh, always said he was the greatest competitor I ever saw until Jordan.
0: Career cut short because of some of those injuries. uh, Obviously, and his
1: playing in that game, I think
0: it had an effect. And others did, including
1: Phil Jackson, who was a teammate of Willis Mm -hmm. Reed's. Yep, shortened his career by about two or three years. But Willis Reed was asked about that later on. Would you, looking back, not have played that game for the chance to play two or three more years? And he said, "Of course not. Of course not." Of course not. And he knew at the time what he was doing. It wasn't one of those where they told him, you can't make it any worse by playing on it. Yes, no, he gonna could. Be worse, of course. He could. And it led to a knee injury that took place after the following season which cost him an entire year, basically, in 1971-72. He came back in 72-73. He won the finals MVP again, right. although he was only about 75% of the player he had been in his prime. Yeah, two-time uh, just, just finals
0: a, MVP, obviously, which is Just remarkable. a
1: magnificent figure in the history uh, of the NBA, and it was the drafting of Willis Reed that started the Knicks on their rebuild and their journey to the top of the nba he was drafted in 1964 out of grambling immediately rookie of the year and rookie of the year right away and did something that players would never do today certainly not top players he changed positions when the knicks traded for walt bellamy willis reed wasn't the center anymore in those days at 6 9 bellamy was six eleven, and bellamy certainly wasn't going to change positions bellamy became the center and Willis Reed had to move to power forward where he was generally bigger and slower than the people he's playing against and in foul trouble all the time. The key move the Knicks made, of course, was the trade that they made in late 1968 for Dave DeBusher for Walt Bellamy. In essence, there were other people involved in the deal. And that allowed Reed to go back to center. DeBusher was a much better player than... Bellamy and became the power forward and during that season the Knicks had a ton of injuries so they were playing their starters Bradley, DeBusher, Reed, Frazier and Dick Barnett 40 to 45 minutes a game they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals that year they lost to the Russell Celtics they went on to win two of the next four championships after that and then the team got old. And it was already banged up and injured. but uh, as uh, Harvey Ayrton wrote in a magnificent book on those Nick teams, the garden was Eden for those five years, 1968, 69
0: through 1972-73. Until he was 29 years old, and the injury started to catch up. right. He had never not been an all-star. He had never played fewer than 73 games, and that was in the last of those years. Durable, strong, two-time champion, both times MVP. I mean, I don't know what you want to say about a player. And and again, you know, when you're in New York and your nickname 50 years later is the captain? The captain. I don't know what what else. else there's to say. And
1: by the way, I understand Derek Jeter is referred to that way too. But when you ask a New Yorker who the captain is, the New Yorker, regardless of whether he prefers baseball or basketball or football or hockey, even the captain means Willis Reed. It doesn't mean Derek Jeter in New York. It means one man and one man only. And that's Willis Reed.
0: A remarkable uh, career, remarkable life. Willis Reed passes away at the age of 80. Our and... friend Scott
1: Hastings as yeah. a player was around Willis Reed. Reed a lot and got to know him very well. And Scott Hastings to this day uh, says he learned as much basketball from Willis Reed as he learned from anybody, but he also learned how to be a pro from Willis Reed who was an executive and a coach.
0: Right. Uh, and and, and coach, coach also coached uh, Creighton at, at one point. Did. Yep, executive. Did. did About everything you could do in basketball. Exactly. And, and it, it brings me a little bit, it's not quite the same comparison, but I, when I look at the avalanche and I look at the situation in a lesser, although not that much lesser situation, Gabriel Landeskog might've made that same trade last year. Rushing back from a knee injury, knowing that, yes, Wonderful. it could make it worse. Wonderful point. Gabriel Landeskog came into the playoffs. Maybe it
1: cut two, three years it may off have Landeskog's cut, it, may, career. it may very
0: well end up being that for Gabriel Landeskog as well. But, Landeskog has, has talked about it. Um, I've had the opportunity to briefly talk to him about it. He basically said the same thing. He, he knew they were close. And he can get and out he might there. might not
1: have as good a chance again. Ever
0: again. He's going out there and he's gonna make a run. Unfortunately, right. it paid off for them, and the Avalanche win the win the Stanley Cup, and Gabriel Landeskog, that may be that that cup may be, depending on his career, the deciding factor of whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. And that there's been, I think, to a certain extent, because it happened at the beginning of the playoffs. I think that Gabriel Landeskog does not get the credit he deserves for that kind of team first sacrifice. Because this is, and he's missed the whole year this year, the whole year this year. And they have still to this day, do not know when or if he will come back. And even
1: more than that, Jared Bednar within the last two weeks has expressed doubts as to whether he could even healthy, be expected to shoot in for the playoffs and be affected.
0: They knew last year that him jumping into that playoffs was a risk. And yes, absolutely could make it worse. That was a trade that Landis knew about. Well, it he know he it anyway. we know he and sacrificed they, one year. They don't wait. Yep.
1: And that was don't. this year because there's no way he has surgery in October. Right. If he, he hadn't played in the playoffs, he would I mean, have he no he been healthy for opening night.
0: He's throwing it. You're right. He's thrown an entire career of so his career was, for that.
1: Thrown out at least one, at least year, one, and the career may be cut short. We we hope not by very much, but
0: but he's that already was the but like Willis made. Reed, and the result he's at peace with that decision. And those are the kind of things when you know you, you sort of when you're thinking about what athletes. I understand, especially now, they make an extraordinary amount of money, and then you think you'd go out there, but you don't get to play professional sports for very long in your life. And that kind of conscious decision is not an easy one to make. And the passing of Willis Reed, I think, it needs to be taken on its own merits, but locally, because it wasn't so dramatic. Gabriel Anderson didn't come back in the Stanley Cup Finals. What he did, Game six, quite frankly, was harder. Oh, he, absolutely. he knew what he was he coming back for. The, the, the hardest playoffs. gauntlet in sports is the right. Stanley Cup playoffs. And he stepped in knowing what he signed up for the whole way through and gutted it out the whole way through. And I think here we are almost a year removed from that. You can talk about Elway's helicopter dive. Uh, You can talk about uh, any of the, the great moments in history for Denver sports. Gabriel Landeskog's willing sacrifice of his potential future to ensure that the Avs win a Stanley Cup, and they do not win it without him is maybe the most significant single act that a championship athlete in Denver sports history has ever made.
1: If we were to make a list of competitive feats in the history of Denver sports... I think that's number one. That might be number one. I think it's one. It's
0: certainly in the top three. The University of Colorado women's basketball team go into Cameron Indoor Stadium and knock off Duke, hanging in there and then playing a phenomenal overtime period. Of course, the CU men knocked out in the NIT, but big-time recruits are coming. The CU Buffalo spring game bumped two-time defending champ Georgia over to ESPN 2. We're going to talk about everything CU Boulder with My Life Sports reporter Zach Seekers next.